We will start, start talking. <laughs> we'll start over. <laughs> okay, we're, what we're going to talk about this afternoon is we're going to talk about using the concept of diabetes reversal as an evangelistic tool. And um, you'll remember the very first session, I flashed this text up on the wall, and I explained a little bit about my journey and how important this text is. It comes from Isaiah 58, verses 6 and 7. And it says, Is not this the fast I have chosen? This is God speaking through the prophet. Is not this the fast I have chosen? To loose the bands of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, to break every yoke? Isn't that what diabetes is? It's an oppression. It's a yoke that people have to wear. It's really hard to, to, do, uh, to deal with. Is it not to deal thy bread to the hungry, and that thou bringest the poor that are cast out into thy house? There's more to evangelism than just the health message. We have to be compassionate. We need to bring the people in. We need to meet whatever their level of needs are. If the problem is not diabetes, certainly we need to be looking at whatever the problem is and responding to that. That's the fast God's talking about. And as I began to studying this, I began realizing that this passage is not about fasting so much as it is about priorities. Am I going to put God's work in front of my physical needs? And so, you know, the program that we have developed here, every single lecture only came by fasting and prayer, guys. But what it would do, the way I would fast, I would get up and I would have my initial prayer, praying to God, asking him to use me today, asking him to give me a, the lecture about whatever that particular topic was. And then I would determine, I am not going to eat until this job is done. I'm putting God first and foremost. And sometimes it would be four, five o'clock in the evening. Other times it would be 11 o'clock in the morning, whatever. When the work was done, then we get to celebrate together. My Lord and I, we have communion. You know, we sit down and we eat. He says he'll come in and sup with us. And I, Anyway, so when thou seest the naked, that thou cover him, and that thou hide not thyself from thy own flesh. Our families are very important. And then those verses are followed with verses 8, and t 8 through 10, which has a promise in it. It says, then thy light shall break forth as the morning, and thine health Thine health shall spring forth speedily, and thy righteousness shall go before thee, and the glory of the Lord shall be thy re-reward, or your rear guard. It'll be your rear guard. Then shalt thou call, and the Lord shall answer. Thou shalt cry, and he shall say, Here I am. Then thy light will rise in obscurity, and thy darkness be as the noonday. What a promise for our church. What a promise for our church. If we could only internalize that concept and apply that. And so that's what we're going to try to lead you through. This is a very familiar passage to you all. Some people have told me that I'm nauseated and I'm so tired of hearing that. Well, if you're one of those, put your fingers in your ears right now because I'm going to read it one more time. Christ's method alone will give true success. You know, God has a plan how this whole world is going to end up. He has a plan how the work is going to be finished. He says, if I have to call a buzzard from a far country, I will do that to, to accomplish my means. If I, have to, if I have to call a man from a far country, or if I have to call a buzzard in, he says those two things. So anyway, if God can go to those lengths to accomplish his means, 
then my prayer should be not, Lord, bless our ministry. I don't pray that prayer. I try not to. What I try to pray is, Lord, please involve me somewhere in your work. And then I go to the Bible and I try to find out what is God's work. I go to the spirit of prophecy to try to find out what is God's work. And then I concentrate on doing what he has told us. So the Savior... His method alone will give true success in reaching the people. He mingled with men as one that desired their good. He showed his sympathy for them, ministered to their needs, and won their confidence, and then he bade them, follow me. So that's what we, were, what we want to try to accomplish as we do this. This comes from Evangelism 5.13. It says, nothing will open the doors for the truth like evangelistic medical missionary work. This will find access to hearts and minds and will be a means of converting many to the truth. Doors that have been closed to him who merely preaches the gospel will be opened to the intelligent medical missionary. God reaches hearts through the relief of physical suffering. So at our church, we would have occasionally an evangelistic series. And if we had five people from the community that responded, we felt like we were doing okay. And if one of them made a decision for Christ, then it was an excess successful campaign. Uh, our church for, uh, for two years after that initial thing, they didn't invite us to do anything. We just busied ourselves elsewhere. But they finally invited us back to their church to do something. And we come in and we hold a diabetes reversal seminar in the fellowship hall. We had tables set up and chairs. The doors opened and people began coming in. We filled up every table. People were sitting around the periphery of the room. So the church board met in emergency session and said, we got to have more tables and we need more chairs. So they bought more tables and more chairs. And we filled them up and people still sat around the edges of the room. So that's the kind of thing. When the Spirit of the Lord goes to work, He will make your work successful. So um, God reaches hearts through the relief of physical suffering. There were people came in that door that would never have come to an evangelistic crusade. And yet there was the one woman Karen told about a few days uh, ago that stood at the door as I'm leaving. She's Church of Christ. And they're, they're very, very closed-minded to hearing what anybody else has to say about religion. Yet she stood there and she said, there is nothing that you have said that I don't have 100% complete confidence in. You win their confidence, and after you've won their confidence, you give them an invitation. So at, uh, uh, at one of the seminars that was held down in Waycross, Georgia, for instance, they went through, it was six sessions they had scheduled, and on the fifth session, they gave out um, a survey said, we'd like to know what other kinds of programs you might be interested in. And they listed things like depression recovery and grief uh, recovery and, uh, you know, some of those other co- programs that are available to us in the church. And one of the things they listed there was Bible studies. The Bible studies was the most checked box. More than 50% of their class wanted to enroll in Bible studies. So that doesn't happen every time, but that is wonderful opportunity. We need to seize these opportunities. And I encourage you that if you're going to do diabetes reversal as a ministry, that you look at it as a part of an overall plan. This is the opening wedge. This gets your first contact. And what we've seen happen over and over again is the people that come through the door 
They don't know you from Adam's house cat, but they know you have a a solution to a problem that you can help them with. And as they begin to see those results working in their life, they start thinking, well, Steve was right about diabetes. What else is he right about? And when Steve starts explaining things like the plan of salvation or whatever else, what, what are these people's ears like? Of course, they're open because they, they, have built, they have developed that level of confidence there. And that's what each one of us can, can become as we move into this. Here's another one. I was again shown that health reform is one branch of the Lord's great work, which is to read it. Fit a people for the coming of the Lord. Amazing, isn't it? It's not just out there because it'll make us healthy sinners. It's out there to give us discipline, to give us a a, a necessary fitness for the coming of the Lord, to help us resist the temptations of the last few days. It is as closely connected with the third angel's message as the hand is with the body. If you're doing evangelism, don't do your evangelism without somehow connecting in a health message with it. The right hand is used to open doors through which the body may find entrance. This is the part the medical missionary work is to act. It is largely to prepare the way for the reception of truth for this time. People ask us, do, well, how about baptisms? Have you had baptisms as a result of your program? There have been a few. There have been a few. But the biggest role that this program has is starting to make friends with the community. So of those 37 people that walk through the door, about 35 of them, I will become really good friends with. And when we meet in the grocery stores, it's not uncommon to get a hug. Because, you know, you just, you just learn to love them, and they love you back. And uh, it's such a wonderful opportunity. The medical missionary work is growing in importance and claims the attention of the church. It is a part of the gospel message and must receive recognition. It is heaven-ordained means of finding an entrance to the hearts of the people. It is the duty of our church members in every place to follow the instructions of the great teacher. The light of health reform is also necessary that it may have mental that they may have mental strength and clearness to discern the sacred truth and turn from bewitching errors and pleasing fables that are flooding the world. Their work is to present before the people the pure doctrine of the Bible. Hence, health reform finds its place in the preparatory work of the second appearing of Christ. Wow. Down in Dublin, Georgia, they have a very small church, and they had been doing some health seminars in their community, but they decided, they learned about our program, and they decided they wanted to do a diabetes seminar. And so they held the first one in September of 2016. Um, They had a really small, the church was too small to be able to hold the seminar there. They had a little they had a double-wide trailer behind the church where they had their fellowship hall. And so they rented a place in, the, in town that allowed them to have 27 people. So they advertised they had 27 people that registered for their seminar, and they held their seminar. Well, one of the gentlemen that attended was a contractor in the community. 
Right before the seminar was to begin, he had seen his physician, and his blood sugar was 428. And the physician said, you're going on medicines. And he said, doctor, give me a chance. I've heard about this seminar. I want to go. Please let me try this. And so he came to the seminar. He worked really hard. He did everything that was said. And by the time the seminar was over, his blood sugar was down to 128. So he said, let me be your poster child for the future ones. Well, in the meantime, this seminar had finished. The coordinator of the seminar was in the fellowship hall behind the church one day, and there was a knock on the door. She went to the door, and there was a gentleman standing there, and she said, how may I help you? And he said, well, I'm looking for your pastor. She said, well, he's not available. Can I help you with something? said, yes. My doctor sent me over here and said, you can help me with my diabetes. <laughs> so they scheduled another seminar. They actually have scheduled four seminars a year. They put it in their plan. They do two in Dublin, and they do two up the road where they're working to get a, a church up in Vidalia. So they scheduled their next seminar. They had five people from the previous seminar that wanted to come back. Now, by the way, the membership of the church was 11. And so was they, 11. everybody was. Everybody helped. But they had five people that had attended the first seminar, and they wanted to come again. And you will find this, and it works really well. Becky Cheney, they told you about, she came to a seminar. She's a nurse practitioner. She came a second time, a third time, a fourth time. At the end of the fourth time, she looked at Steve, and she said, I get it. I finally get it. I said, Steve, you're not talking simple enough yet. But anyway, so he keeps working to simplify. But five people wanted to come back, and so... The lady, Gail, she said, well, you know, we have a problem. We have a real small room. We only have 27 that can come. If the five of you come, then you're kicking out five other people. She said, I'll let you come back on one condition. you got to help. And so she let them come back. So they, or they scheduled 27 for their next seminar, and their list, people just kept calling they had 27 more pre-registered before they ever started their second seminar. That's how much it grew. And so they held the third one just to get that next 27 in. They are, they have, I don't know if it's quite done, they have now built a new fellowship hall, and the Lord has brought all kind of amazing people into their church. I contacted her and tried to get the current, what her their membership is now, and I haven't heard back from her. But if she happens to respond before we're done here in a little bit, I'll let you know. But they are so excited. We talked to her recently, and they have, they have people lined up wanting to be coaches for them and people doing their food samples and all. It is just really awesome what has happened there. And so they are... They've just built this into their plan, and this is what we encourage you to do. Build this into your overall evangelism plan. Schedule your meetings, schedule seminars, schedule follow-ups, schedule cooking schools, schedule... There is Dinner one... The is doctor. there anyone here that's from the Morganton or Valdez churches? Anybody? Okay, Barry and Sharon, Sharon Mahorny have been working there for a while, and what they did, they would do the seminar usually twice a year in the spring and fall, 
But then they started a dinner club. And so the people who had finished, they invited them to become part of their dinner club. They had to bring a recipe with the recipe all written out. It had to be plant-based. And they just had a marvelous time with all these people coming back and meeting. But that's part of what they did for follow-up. So there's, we highly recommend it be part of your overall plan. Because it is such an opportunity to build the relationships, and that's what we're looking for. Now, in our conference in Georgia Cumberland, because of risk management, they ask that if you're doing this on behalf of the church, make sure you have some sort of medical person there, a licensed or registered. It can be a nurse, a dietitian, a physician, someone there. They don't have to present, but they can at least attend. So if someone asks a question and the presenter might be uncomfortable if they're not a medical person, the medical person can just help to answer the questions. So it's really important for risk management purposes. It helps to reduce your liability to have a medical person there. You want to schedule several months of follow-up. And I've already mentioned the dinner club, but the cooking schools, dinner with a doctor is wonderful, the creation health program, depression recovery. And you all have things you're doing in your conference that I might not be familiar with, you know, but schedule these things as follow-up. Keep the people coming back. Amen. I don't have the source of the quote, but we have read that Mrs. White says, when you get the people all excited, you get them hot. I don't think that's her word, but you get them really interested and involved. Don't just leave them hanging. Don't drop them. But keep them coming back. Keep something going on that the people can come back and be involved. So the program outline is we, we meet once a week for eight weeks. And we've mentioned through the week why we do this is it gives the people a chance to go back home and learn and do, incorporate these things into their own kitchen at home. You can do it once a week for six weeks, and then the session seven and eight, do it as a follow-up, you know, one month out, two months out. The problem, the lecture we did this morning on the leptin resistance, the leptin resistance was really pivotal for me but that's not built in until it's the eighth session. And so they're not going to get the benefit of that if you bump it out. That's one of my biggest things about um, turning it into just a six-week and then your follow-up. But we schedule two and a half hours for a meeting. We do it six to eight in the evening with a pre-session. And the pre-session is when they come, they get weighed, they, they get their food sample, they get their blood pressure checked. That's part of the pre-session, because not everybody can be there, you know, right at the same time. But we encourage the staff to come early, and then we do these things before we start the lecture or start the program right at 6 o'clock. Um, we have the pre-session, we have a lecture, we have exercise, which you can see there, and we have the coaching session. I encourage you. Highly encourage you. Yeah, I almost, almost want to say I beg of you. Don't do the program and not do the coaching. 
the coaching is when the people can verbalize what they've learned and how they they think they can make it happen in their homes this week. Um, we have all the materials prepared. It tells you what to ask. And it, the coach can be anybody that can help control a conversation. If you get one person at your table that's just a talk, 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 you have to be able to say, Thank you, Larry, for sharing, but I'd like to hear from Mary. And so, you know, it helps you move around the table so that everybody gets to share. That's the purpose of the coach. The coach is not teaching them more information, but they're helping to control so that everybody gets to share. So there's something for everybody to do when they're holding a seminar. So the team... We have a coordinator, someone that can just help make everything happen. Organize. Organize, yes. Keep notes. Make the phone calls. Text people. Just keep them on schedule. Now, we have a document that we have prepared that's in the book here, and we're just briefly going to go through this. But in, in the, the book here, in the leadership manual, the first whole section is a planning document. There's 11 or 12 pages there that has this information. It tells you how to build your team. You need good registration staff. One of the best ones we ever had, had she was a retired school teacher in the community. So Steve would stand pretty close to her. The parking lot was down below. And when the, a car would pull up and they'd start to get out, she'd say, oh, good, John's here. So Steve would meet him at the door. Hi, John, I'm so glad you're back. And they're going, wow, you remember my name. Well, it's because the teacher was there telling him who everybody was. And by the end of the seminar, he, he really did know a lot of the names. So it's really wonderful to have your friendly, bubbly people that can remember names. You don't want your loudest, friendliest, most joyful person doing weights. You want your really quiet person doing weights because you don't want them hooping and hollering and congratulating the lady that she's made it down to 200 pounds. We had that happen one time. We learned our lesson. The, those kind of people need to be on the registration. So you really do need more than one person that can do blood pressures because if you have 20 people coming to your seminar, it takes two to three minutes to do each blood pressure, so you need time. So it's really helpful in that, and you can really connect with your participants while they're getting their blood pressure checked. Also, who at your church brings the most beautiful dishes to fellowship dinner? All right. Then I would go find her and say, would you do food samples for us? We don't need a whole meal. We need a simple food sample so that people can start getting the idea that high-fiber food tastes good. Right, Judy? Absolutely. She did food samples for us down at Udawa, and it was wonderful. And I think we might even have a picture of one of them in here. So that's, that's the kind. Find those kinds of folks. We had a seminar where they prepared a whole meal for the folks as they came in. Well, folks, there's a problem with that. Yes, we want them to get to that place where they really enjoy it, but these folks aren't used to eating high-fiber foods. And so when you bring them in and you give them a whole meal every week of all these high-fiber foods, they're not going to feel good right at first. 
they may not even enjoy it all, and it, it's, it just doesn't go over as well. It's much better to do a, a food sample that they can enjoy and a recipe that they may even go home and try, get the, get the groceries on the way home, whatever. So these are the different stations. And when you have a smaller class, you know, we double up. When you have plenty of people and can have a bigger class, then you have a separate height station, separate weight station. It's wonderful if you have medical presenters, but if you don't, the transcripts are in here. Everything you need to say is right here built into the, the manual. It's wonderful if you've seen Steve lead out in the exercise and then he's so short of breath he can't talk to you. Well, it's really nice to have someone else do the exercise. And in the seminar we just did down in Benton, Georgia, Benton, Tennessee, excuse me, you know who they had do their exercises? Their pastor. And it worked great because he was connecting with the people. And furthermore, it got him there. And he listened, and he started doing, he started walking. By the time our eight weeks were over, he had lost 10 pounds. So he was a testimony for everybody. But furthermore, he was really comfortable. I've never been comfortable enough to do this. But he was so comfortable, he stood right up front, and he said, if you want to try these vegetarian foods, this good plant-based food, he said, come to church we have fellowship dinner every Saturday afternoon about 12.30. Come at 12.30, and you can eat with us. Wow, it was awesome. Anyway, you also need a gopher. You need someone that if you forgot to bring your pens or pencils, they can go for some, all right? It's also real helpful when I arrive for them to come out and they help carry in the books or whatever, you know, that we have that we need carried in. So... They're extra, they're support, and furthermore, they're getting to know the people that are there. And so that is it's just wonderful. Someone that can help take the equipment down, someone that knows how to run the PA, or someone, you know, like Steve here in the back that can help hook up when things don't go right. They know what to do, or they know who to call. All right. So it's just wonderful to have team. But if you can't, if you don't have that many people in your church, if you have a small church, then you use what you have and the Lord will bless. Amen. So where to hold the seminar? When we started in Grundy County, every little community, every little burg in the community had a community center. And because I was a volunteer with the health council, we got to use them for free. They would come, they would open, open up, they would keep it clean for us. They, you know, all this stuff provided all the basic things. Wonderful place. We love to do it in a church because the churches already have a group of people, be it a Church of Christ or a Methodist. Baptist or Methodist, whatever it is. We've held it in lots of churches. We really prefer the Adventist church because we want to bring them into our group. So if our members will be there and support it and just love these people as they come in, that's really ideal. But we have nothing against going out in the community and doing and just loving the people in their own churches. We've done it in senior centers. We have the jail. At the jail, you have a captive audience. Okay, It works really well. 
And what they did in Grundy County, they ended up putting a garden in the yard at the jail, and they started raising their own food. So just a thought. Also, the library works well. City Hall works well. Um, Grocery stores. Meeting. In Bristol, Tennessee, they have a Kroger that has a big conference room. So we went up there and held it. It was really neat. I mean, the people can walk out and go right out there and shop. So it worked beautifully. We always charge a registration fee. If you do not charge a registration fee, the people won't have as much buy-in. If they're paying something, they have the buy-in, and they will come more faithfully. We usually do $45. $15 for a handbook, $15 for a full-plate diet book. Those are your two basic books that everybody needs, and you use it for every seminar. If they've already been through a seminar and they want to come back, they don't have to buy the books again. But at least the $45, that gives you a little bit to help with advertising and a little bit to help with food samples. On average, I know food prices are going up. Oh, he's going to come rub me on my back now. Food prices are going up, so you need to evaluate. And if you need to charge a little bit more, then you, know, you evaluate. But usually, on average, a lentil soup, it doesn't cost much to make a lentil soup for 20 people or 25 people. But on average, from $30, maybe up to $50 a night, will take care of your food sample for a group of about 35 people. So, but always provide a limited scholarship. You, you can keep that, but what I wanted to tell them is, you know, a lot of times churches struggle with their budgets. They have all kinds of other expenses that they're dealing with. We shouldn't recoil from the idea of charging something. Now, Crossville, Tennessee, they had a physician that started a plan, plan to hold this. But it was the health leader of the church where it, uh, it really, really started happening. And uh, one day she felt impressed well, she'd been, she, they'd been preparing for the seminar, and she'd been praying for people to come. So she went to, they wanted to hold it at Fairfield Inn, which is a senior retirement community, golf course kind of thing. And so she went and talked to them at the, um, the people that would coordinate the meeting uh, there for the community. And she told them what they wanted to do. Well, first, they were having a board meeting. And the Lord impressed her that she needed to go to the board meeting of this country homeowners club, the Homeowners Association. So she's going, Lord, I've never been to one of those, and why should I go? And the Lord said, I want you to go to this meeting. So she went to the meeting, and she's sitting back there, and she's listening to the agenda, and they got to the part they're talking about the country club, they needed more people to come and eat at the country club. And she felt the spirit prompting her. She got up. She walked down. She said, I'd like to address that issue. And they're looking at her like, who are you? And she said, the problem is we are older folks. We care about our health. And the food at the country club is not healthy. And they're looking at her. And they said, uh, well, let's talk about this. 
after the meeting. So after the meeting, they, they, there were three of them or so that met with her, and they talked, and they said, look, if you can get 100 people to come to your seminar, we will put something healthy on the menu at the country club. So she went home, and she got down on her knees. She said, Lord, I need 100 people. Now, they had been holding this seminar for two or three years in their community, and they average about 50 people each time they do. She said, Lord, I need 100 people. Well, she called me two or three days before the seminar was to start. They had 104 people registered, paying, was it $50 a person they were paying? And the country club had already added to their menu a vegetarian burger. So they had 86 of those 104 that actually completed the whole program. It's just amazing. And furthermore, they got to use the premier dining room for free and the church budget. The church budget, they had started out allocating $3,000 for this diabetes reversal program, but they brought in $4,500 or $5,000 roughly. So the, 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 the net result was the community made a contribution to the evangelism fund of the church. That's the way to run evangelism, is it not? You know, let's let, let, let's let them help support the, uh, the program. And the reason that we say have a limited amount of scholarships that you can offer to people is that inevitably there's someone, I mean, diabetes is a vicious disease, and the medicines cost a lot. If they have wounds, there's lots of dressings. I mean, there's just a lot of stuff. And so just make it available that if they cannot afford to pay, let it come out of the budget. Um, usually maybe one person or two people might ask for a scholarship and we put it right on the flyer limited scholarships available most people they don't want it they want to pay and we're happy no i can take care of myself that's exactly what they say so but do make it available uh it just helps in the community if they understand that you understand what they're going through and you're willing to help them as needed so why don't you talk Okay, about so what kind of equipment are you going to need? Well, you need some kind, you'll, you'll need a computer. Uh, the program that we have done, we did for uh, Microsoft PowerPoint. It will not work on Keynote. If you have Keynote, uh, the graphics are all distorted and whole nine yards. So you would need to get Microsoft PowerPoint. But um, it works very well on Microsoft PowerPoints, but you need a, a, a laptop or uh uh, you could actually load it on your cell phone if you wanted and do it from there. Uh, but you're going to have to have PowerPoint for your cell phone. Anyway, uh, then you'll need some kind of pre- projection device. Now a lot of churches are coming up with these great big screen TVs. Their, their sanctuary or their, their fellowship hall are already equipped. All you have to do is just plug into that. Uh, and uh, your anybody that is in your church that has a li- is a little tech savvy, your AV guys, they can help you make the connections if you don't know how to do that. And uh, then you 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 will just project right onto the screen like this, or onto the, the the large screen television. But you'll need some kind of projection device. And uh, consider the room. If the room doesn't have a projection device. 
Sometimes you have a light-colored wall. We've projected right onto the wall at times, but sometimes we have to bring uh, a screen, and we, we do have that equipment for ourselves. Uh, you need a good projector. Make sure your lumens on your projector are bright enough to project if you're holding this, especially during the su uh, summertime when the days are long and there's a lot of ambient light. Otherwise, the people may not be able to, to see the image on the screen or you'll have to pull it up real close to be able to see it at any rate. So um, the blood, blood pressure monitors, we encourage the digital because as we get older, you know, you get nurses, retired nurses that will come and help do your blood pressures, but they don't hear as well as they used to. And so it reduces the risk if you have a, a digital monitor. Plus, there's a lot of noise in the room yes. as people begin coming in. And uh, that makes it difficult. So we found the digital monitors work really well. As far as the scales, please do not use bathroom scales. They are not accurate enough. And don't have two different scales that the people come in on because oftentimes the calibration is different from one to the next. You want to be able to have an accurate reading. The, for, for just, you know, a couple hundred dollars, you can come up with a good digital scale that's accurate, that'll weigh up to at least 400 pounds. Uh, you may have a few individuals that come in that exceed that number, but the mo majority of the people will not do that. And so um, have also some type of height measurement device. Now we have a device, they make it for measuring people height, people's height. It's a collapsible thing. You can easily carry it in. You put it together and it has a thing that comes down and sits right on top of their head and makes an easy readout. Uh, th that's what we use, but we have been to seminars that others have done, and we've seen them where they just simply took a tape measure, you know, uh, stretched it up the wall, put it on a board, tacked it on a board or something like that, and they had people standing there, and then they had like a book or a block of wood they put on their head. That works too. Uh, the reason we did that is we, we were, you know, we have written... Uh, some grants. And when you're writing grants, you try to have uh, accurate information and an accurate BMI was something that we felt like was important. The, the kind of records that you keep, I encourage you to uh, lock them up like in a locking file cabinet in a locked house and just keep them for a while be, and keep track as well of all the volunteers that work. Have them sign in every night because if you have the opportunity to apply for a grant, a lot of grants have this thing that say, they say, okay, we'll give you this much money, but we want to see you make a contribution as well. And they, one of the contributions they will require oftentimes is in-kind um, receipts. And so if you can, uh, you can put a valuation on people's time and the time they spend volunteering, if they're a registered nurse, you have one rate, you know, you have another for, for support staff, et cetera. But you can, you can use that as you're writing your grant to ask for public monies or foundational monies or things like that. So you can actually apply for, for, for grants outside of the church and you can get additional support to help you in your community. So that's one of the reasons why we collect that information. There are many ways of networking. Folks, we recognize that it is more difficult now with COVID. You can't just walk in and get the support that you used to be able to. But still, the local health department, if nothing else, if you take them flyers, they will mail that information to every single one of their diabetics 
to let them know of the upcoming program that you're doing for your community, to get help get the word out. Um, also, the hospitals, we'll show you a picture in a minute. We had a nurse come from one of the local hospitals that did blood pressures for us at one of the seminars. Medical church members, you know, any of the help that you can get. Local physicians, get involved with the Lions or Rotary Clubs. They are looking for people that will come. In our area, the, they actually met every single Tuesday, and they needed, I mean, if we walked in, inevitably, they would be asking him, can you talk for us today? To get him to present something about the work that was going on. The, the um, Lions Club is very interested in eyes, and they love to have you come and share what you're doing for the, the people with diabetes because it does help with the eye care. Local park services, we actually um, help do some cleanup on trails. We also help put some new equipment, playground equipment at the park. Just ways they love to have you partner and they'll, they'll come and they'll help guide hikes and such too for you. Schools or universities are good for the, um, the students, nursing students need places where they can go and do things. So if you can involve them or school kids, fourth grade, we used to go and do sugar demonstrations for all the fourth graders in the whole county. So network every way that you possibly can. Um, radio, TV, internet, social media is a wonderful way to get the word out. I made flyers. I took flyers everywhere and put them up in the laundromat and the doctor's offices and every post office in the county and to help get the word out that way. But the newspaper people, when you do a seminar and you write up the results of the seminar, they're happy to share that as a story. A lot of the times you need to actually need to pay for a little ad um, to, get the, to get your foot in the door with them. But if you'll pay for an ad, then when you go back and say, here's the story of what happened, they get really excited. And we have been on the front page of the newspapers many times just because of the results in the county. It's, it's really awesome. So use these different areas of the media to help you. These are the books. We've talked about them all week long. Everybody, <clears throat> all your participants need one of the handbooks. It has the worksheets in there. It has the smart goal sheet, has the food list, has lots of recipes in the back that will help them. And then the leadership manual is something that we just published this year, the spring of this year. In fact, guys, we went to Colorado. Our son sent us out to Colorado. We got to go with them for vacation, and I stayed in, and I helped finish up this manual while Steve went skiing. I think, I think he did. showed you a picture this morning up on the ski slopes. <laughs> they had a marvelous time, but it's okay because I don't ski. But anyway, so the leadership manual is out. These are the two books. The full plate diet, everybody needs that because it teaches them about fiber. And uh, the other one, the plant to plate diabetes edition cookbook, just helps people to see that you can have good food, beautiful food, and it can have lots of fiber in it and it can help them. That book we never bring out till about the fifth or sixth week because they don't understand right at first to open the book and go, but it's plants. Where's the beef? 
Once they have had those lectures and they begin to understand, then they're much more interested in it. And we don't include that with the registration price. We sell it. Okay? That way they're getting a little more skin into it as well. So make sure that your stations are private, especially the way station. You don't want other people peeking over their shoulder and seeing what the scale says. So make that private. Allow room and arrange for more than one person. We mentioned that already to do the, the blood pressures. Whoops. So there's a blood pressure station. This was the nurse from the hospital that came to help us. And we had other things, the stack ups. You may be familiar with that. That little yellow blob over there is one pound of fat. And the people really enjoyed being able to get a hold of that. And, and it's like, when I lose a pound, that's what I'm getting rid of? Absolutely. So if you have access to those kinds of things, they're wonderful tools to help. These are some food samples. Um, you don't want a big, huge plate. You want a little plate with just a little bit of things, and you want it presented very well. The one on the right there is tabbouleh and hummus and falafel. That was for the weekend program up at Bristol. So they did several things that they put on one small plate instead of normally we would have falafel one week and have hummus another week and all, but, but they did that. The other one was at, at um, Chattanooga First Church. Anyway, that's just how they presented it. So Okay. When you're using PowerPoint... Those of you that have used PowerPoint a lot may be well acquainted with it, but we, we've written the transcripts in such a way to give you a clue as to what you need to do for, uh, for using your presenter. Now, if, when, when you're using PowerPoint, having a presenter like this is really important because you just click a button and you move to your next slide. You can buy them at Walmart. They have a little USB um, drive that you pull out, plug right in the computer, and it makes the thing work, and you, it, it'll, it'll just advance it forward, backward, or you can just darken your screen like that if you want to. It actually has a laser pointer. If I'm up close enough, you can see the laser pointer, so you can point things out on the screen if you need to. And uh, so they're very handy. They cost about $20, or you can buy, buy some deluxe kind for just a little bit more. But uh, anyway, um, I've been through several of these. And uh, they're all basically the same, really nice. So PowerPoint point programs are available for each one of those sessions, and they come with the leadership manual. You open up the leadership manual, and they're in a little plastic packet right under the front cover. And uh, it also includes uh, electronic files. So if you have files that you need to print out thing, registration forms, letter for the doctor, things like that. You don't have to do all that work. It's already done for you. Just bring up the file, put it in your computer, and punch print. Uh, make any edits you want to make in order to make it appropriate for your particular situation. And then the transcript is provided in here slide by slide. You have each slide as it appears in the book. Those of you that already have the booklet will understand exactly what I'm talking about. And you'll notice there's highlights in there. The highlights in there correspond to the notes that are in the presenter view. I'll show you those in just a moment. But there's also uh, double spaces. Anytime you see a double space, it means click your clicker. Click your clicker. 
you know, advance your, advance your slide. So if you're in the middle of a slide, there are a few slides that actually have animations, but you see the double space, you click that, and it'll, uh, you know, the animations will come in at just the right time for you. So practice, you know, I went on a share him program, and when we got to uh, Tanzania, Dr. Uh, elder Falkenberg was there, the senior elder, elder Falkenberg. He led out an orientation session. And one of the most important things he said in that session was before you get up front, know what you're going to say. Practice each session out loud at least three times. That will identify where you're going to trip up, where you're going to stumble, where you're going to have trouble with your presentation. So if you're not, uh, you know, we, we have had uh, presenters that have done the program uh, in Johnson City, Tennessee. They had one particular program. They had advertised well. They had a good crowd coming. They had a different presenter for every night. Not exactly what I would recommend, but that's what was working for them. And uh, on the fourth night, the presenter came in and had not prepared. She stumbled all over the place. It was and, on leptin. Um, and she and, didn't know what leptin was. And, and so by the end of the program, nobody, I mean, virtually nobody came back. I think they had one or two individuals that came back, but they lost their whole crowd because of that. You don't want to do that. You know, if you're going to invest in this kind of stuff, be prepared, be prepared. And so if anybody has a question, by the way, I want to point out that on the very back cover of the book, down here at the bottom, is our address. So, uh, you know, and there's our cell phone number. You can call me any hour of the day and night or text. If we're in a meeting, we may not be able to answer the phone or answer the text immediately, but we will get back with you probably within, the, within 24 hours. We will get you an answer. So if you don't know something, don't panic. Somebody does know. And if I don't know when you call me, we will try to find the answer and get back to you. So, um, yes, moving on. So when you have a double space, you click to advance to the next slide, and uh, it'll... Now, this is the presenter view. In this particular view, you'll notice that you, you saw this earlier today, I think it was, or yesterday. Anyway, this is what you, the audience would be seeing. This is the next slide. You'll notice there's a brown frame around right there. And we are in the succession of slides. We are moving along here. So I have a clue where I'm going. I know what I'm going to say next because I can tell from looking at my presenter view on my computer that I usually have sitting in front of me. We don't this time because we had to put it in the back. That doesn't often happen. But the yellow highlighted stuff in your book corresponds to the notes section right here. So if you're going down through here and you said, did not eat the green stuff, I don't know what that's all about. Well, you can very quickly look at your notes that are right beside that slide and where it said, did not eat the green stuff. Oh, yeah, Merlin said that as he was going out, he said through gritted teeth, I don't eat the green stuff. Okay, now you know what to do. So anyway, um, that, that's the way we put it together. It's fairly simple to use, but you do need to practice. And there's another advantage here, too, as well. All of these uh, lectures are footnoted, and in the very back of the book, you have um, a bibliography section. It's boring for a lot of people, but if you have somebody that challenges you about a particular idea, say, where did you get that information from? 
This will happen occasionally. You can go in, look for the footnotes, and if you find a footnote there, go to the back, to the bibliography in the back, and you can tell them, that, well, it came from this. So we've, we've tried to put it all there for you. Uh, next one. I, you know, it used to be it was really hard to get plant-based recipes, but there is a plethora Hundreds, thousands of recipes that are now available online. So if somebody has, is, is computer literate, all they have to do is go online. And if you're looking for a whole food plant-based dessert, you can find it. If you're looking for whole food plant-based entree, you can find it. If you, uh, you know, if you are not literate in that manner, then you need to purchase the books. So that's one more reason why, you know, some older people especially, they haven't, uh, they haven't decided to, to go the learning curve and learn how to do that. They prefer the old paper and book method, and that's just fine, but we're, we're just trying to meet the needs of the populace in that. So these are just a few of the, uh, of the sites that are particularly good that we had, uh, had latched onto at one point in time. And uh, now the leadership manual. Uh, the leadership manual, the things we've been talking about are in the front section of your manual. Um, if you have questions, most of those questions will be answered by going through page by page. Karen mentioned the planning document in the beginning. But after that, it talks about... Right after the planning manual planning document is one that is a seminar outline. And that one really is a blessing. It gives you in a nutshell, it's on page 13. It tells you the general supplies that you're going to need for each meeting. It also tells you the session that you're going to be presenting. And it tells you the food sample. It tells you the forms that you will need. And then it reminds you again, remember your general supplies, remember those ink pens, remember the name tags, you know, whatever else that it is. But a lot of the folks have really appreciated having a menu and the recipes are in the back of the participant handbook so that they have a copy of it and they can take them home and they can try it. Okay, and uh, let's see where we are. The printable form, oh, there's a, a sheet in there with those. sample exercises. There's also food prep guidelines. You really want to use local foods as much as possible. You cannot send everybody to the conference office for, you know, whatever specialty things or to college. You've got to have what can they buy locally. Yes. And a lot of places, you're not going to have access to your whole grain pastas do the best you can with what they can have, okay? What they can find at their local store. Things are, there's a lot more available now than what used to be. So remember, fresh is better than frozen. Frozen, frozen is better than canned, all right? And if someone has something in their garden, encourage them to use it. Um, you will have, event, you, you will invariably have some cooks that have favorite recipes of their own they want to bring in. 
Some of them probably will not understand your food uh, preparation guidelines, the restrictions that are there. So we have a list in here that details food preparation guidelines, what you need to look for, what you need to do. We don't want to be doing a lot of real starchy foods right at first because they do drive up blood sugars, but we are looking for the whole food plant-based. Some people say, well, I have got a great cornbread recipe, but the cornbread recipe has a cup of oil in it and whatever else. I'm sorry. That you know, that's, that's not allowed for a reversal type demonstration. Uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, we have that there. The next, the, the next thing I want to talk to you about is coaching for lifestyle change. And, okay, Karen, Karen said this is, uh, uh, it, it is about controlling a conversation, and it really is. It's everybody working off the same song sheet. So we have learning objectives for every session. That really drives what we're doing. We, so so we, we, we're all focused in on helping these people the first night learn what is insulin resistance. So we, we, we will tell them what we're going to tell them. We'll tell them what we tell uh, We're going to tell them what we're going to tell them. We'll tell them. And then as we summarize things at the end, sometimes you tell them again. But when they get into the coaching sessions, the coach is going to say something like this. What was it that you learned about insulin resistance that you never knew before? It's not a yes-no question. It's a discussion question. It's something that's going to make them have to think a little bit. And it's also going to help them internalize that information. This is where real learning begins. And your coaches need to understand that their role is not to, well, I got this great vegan recipe, and if you take this and this and this. No, it's not about that. It's about focusing on the learning objective of the night. And everybody working together to help these individuals understand insulin resistance. You don't have to be an expert on insulin resistance to be the coach. You have to simply be able to direct the questions back to the individuals. So someone asks you a question about insulin resistance. And you say, well, I don't know the answer to that. Does anybody here at the table have an idea of what the answer might be? And let the participants tell, because a lot of them may know. And if they do, they share the information, and that's great. If they don't know, then whoever's in charge, your coordinator that's in charge, hopefully will be somebody that is fairly knowledgeable, and they can be circulating around among the tables. That's what Karen and I do when we're holding. You know, We might have six or eight groups around the room, but we're going around, both of us. And we were kept busy the whole time answering questions. It's okay. It's okay. And if we don't know, I say, I simply don't know. I don't know. And, but I'll find out for you. So there's a four-step process that we lead people through. The first one is to connect, um, connect, then reflect, apply, and inspire. And if you do that, that empowers the people with this knowledge and helps them to internalize that. Connect begins when the people walk through the door. You want to meet them. Try to re remember their names. Call them by name. And then, uh, then you have the lecture. You have the meat of the program. And then the work of the coach begins. Reflect on what we just heard. That's reflect. So Ask them leading questions that will take them back. And actually, in the book here, we have scripted questions to help them with each of these stages. It'll say, if you'll turn like, those of you that have the book, if you turn like to page 26, 
You can see what we're talking about on, on the night one when we talk about insulin resistance. So we'll have questions. What reversal strategies did you learn this session? So you ask that to the, the group, and then uh, after, you, after Larry's answered, then Mary, uh, you ask Mary, and after Mary answers, you go around, get everybody to, to, to discuss that, and then you move on to the next question. And uh, it's a fairly simple process, but it really gets these people thinking. And uh, you, sometimes you'll have to rein that conversation in. But um, then, then apply. Apply is where we actually get into filling out our SMART goals. And they need to fill out the SMART goal sheet. If they, haven't, if they fill out the SMART goal sheet themselves, they're writing their own personal goal. It keeps you from practicing medicine without a license or from uh, becoming a registered dietitian or a registered nurse or something like that without a license. Anybody can write their own health goal. So we want them to write it, not have us dictate to them what that, that health goal will be. And uh, then the last thing is inspire. And you know, people will do what's inspected, not what is expected. So ask them, ask to see the sheet where, where you have them fill it out. That little sheet is there for them to, to see, to learn, to try to remind them. I tell people, take, take this SMART goal sheet and in the, in the booklet here, uh, in the participant handbook, it looks like this. There's a little graph down at the bottom, page 8, for instance. Uh, there's there's one, for, one of these for each session. But have people fill it out. Did you meet this goal? I don't care if they say yes or no. I want them looking at it. I want them reaffirming the desire. I want to be free of diabetes. I want to make these lifestyle changes. I want to eat the kind of diet that God prescribed for man in the first place. And as they, as they look at that goal every day, as they pray over this, as they evaluate themselves, their desire to change will become greater. So we're trying to bring about behavior change as we do that. Well, guys, it has been a joy for both of us to be here with you this week. Thank you for the opportunity of allowing allowing us to come in and discuss our view of diabetes and diabetes reversal and to relate to you some of the stories of how God has changed lives through this ministry. We thank you for the, the invitation. Thank you for being here. And let's just stand together as we have one final prayer together. Heavenly Father, it's been a busy week. But I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for each person that has attend, uh, attended. And Lord, I pray that you will be with them and direct those that you would have to take this back to their churches. Direct them to those other people who can assist them and help them in, this, uh, in, in the effort to reach our communities with a gospel of good health and also with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the instruction you've given us as a church. And I pray that we will be faithful doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen.